I want you to get ready to put your hands together for one of my special, special, greatest friends. I've watched his ministry down through the years, from inner city Detroit to pastoring for 20 years at Revival Tabernacle, Seven Mile and Woodward, to now pastoring Brooklyn Tabernacle, uh, right in the heart of New York City. Put your hands together for Tim Delina. God bless you, Tim. Would you stand with me? We're going to get ready to pray. I have got to give you my very quick but yet sincere thank you. I, um, what you have done, what Pastor talked about for now supporting 200 missionaries is unbelievable. I have to think that I was one of the first group of 10 maybe missionaries. You have to understand something. I am indebted to this church because when I was at a crossroads of possibly leaving the ministry, I, I came to Detroit... Um, back in 1983 to work. We planted a church right across the street from the old Motown building that's no longer there and right in the middle of the, of the uh, Brewster projects. And when I started off at 19 years old, I was making $72 a week. And then as ministry went on, I was making $45 a week. And then you know how ministry goes. I was making zero a week. And um, I literally was at a crossroads and not knowing if I should stay or if I could stay, if I could even continue on. And out of nowhere, I remember the day um, on that building, this old church building on Woodward Avenue that just burned down a few years ago, um, a, a letter coming through, and it was a letter from your pastor when you weren't in this building that says, we just feel that I was an assembly of God. I, 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 so there was, Phil and I, had, Pastor Phil and I had some relationship, but, but when I got a check once a month for about $110, $120, literally you kept me in the ministry. And I am indebted to this place. So anytime Pastor Phil asks me to come, I will do whatever I can to be here because of um, what you guys have invested in me. Do you understand that when you give in an offering, when you go to that wild game dinner, which I would never go to in my entire life, I'm just letting you know. The closest thing to that uh, wild game would be mad cow if it was like a crazy disease, but on steak. But other than that, there was no way I'd go and eat yak. Um, but God bless you for, the, for us, for, for eating yak for us. And, um, but it's that kind of thing that has so blessed me. Please understand how important it is that you give. I am a product. Listen to me, Lakeside. I am a product of your giving. I am a product of your giving. So I want to say thank you. Let's pray and let's ask God's just blessing to be here. Father, thank you for this time. I bless this church, Lord God, for what they have meant to me and what they have done for me, Lord God, when it was, I was just a kid and didn't know what to do. Thank you for Pastor Phil just taking a chance and, and supporting me. I'm so blessed. I am here today because of people like this church and what they have done. Bless them. Would you bless our time? God, I feel like you've put something on my heart for this service. And I pray, God, not only here, but tonight, come and speak to us corporately and come and speak to us individually. God, bring answers to where there may have been questions, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It was um, you that allowed me to go to take a second step, which was back, um, I am going to quote something that probably maybe Pastor Phil would remember, but um, is when 
we were asked to go for a thing called the Decade of Harvest. We were to be the first inner city church, one of the first inner city churches in the country for the assemblies, and we bought a 900-seat X movie theater on Woodward and Six Mile called the Old Crim Theater. And uh, we turned that into a church. We walked in there. Um, I took, I, I, am, I am the person that has the... Um, the great opportunity to say I was the first person to take Bill Leach um, and Dave Pace into a pornography theater, and I took them in there, but had them turn off the movies, walk them in, and they looked at me and said, I think we can do this. And so we bought that theater for $55,000 on Woodward and Six Mile, and literally they just gave us the keys. They left everything in there, every movie, the gift shop, everything in there and while we were renovating it men would come asking they thought we were renovating the theater and so they would ask when did the movie start and we would tell them Sundays 10 and 6 and they would show up and they would see me fully clothed and they would and, and men that used to sit in the theater seats in bondage were now getting saved and God was doing something very special it was an amazing place and and we would leave up the screens that's why i love seeing we left up the giant screen and the screen that used to show pornography now begins to show worship songs and hymn lyrics just like you have here and people would just go you met in a triple x theater I said it was always triple X. Now it just became ex-junkies, ex-alcoholics, ex-prostitutes, all saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And you, this church, this church has a very strong part and hand in it. I'll tell you a little bit more of what's happening since I left for Brooklyn and who's there now. And we celebrate our 25th anniversary at that church um, this coming summer. And so we are blessed and thank you for being part of that. That's why the article that someone sent to me just recently um, really kind of just caught my attention. It, it, was, it had a church and a pornography theater in it, though not the same place, it was a little disconnected. And North Carolina Church um, was going for about three years and was exploding in growth. Some 700 people were coming through their church and somehow someone missed something in the city charter um, and they approved on the other side of the church parking lot um, a pornography theater um, to be built on the other side of the parking lot. Can you imagine coming out of your services every Wednesday night, anything you did, and you're sharing a parking lot with men that are going into the pornography? The church didn't know what to do. They tried to fight it with city council. They tried to appeal to the mayor. Nothing was going to happen. So the church did last what they probably should have done first, and they held a prayer meeting to try to pray the place down. How many know prayer works? Well, they prayed, and uh, around the 30th day, they were praying and fasting around the 30th day lightning struck and burned the theater to the ground <laughs> okay that's a good prayer meeting I just have to tell you that that's a good prayer meeting well the story's not over the article goes on to say that the triple X owner took the church to court and said your prayer meeting is responsible for the lightning that came to burn us to the ground so we're going to ask you to pay the deductible and all other expenses so for renovation so we can reopen the pornography theater because your meeting is responsible they go to court and so you have to understand something on the prosecution side is the pornography people and their lawyers on the defense side is the church so the prosecutor is saying this you prayed 
God sent lightning. God answered your prayer. The church was going, it's not our fault. It was just a prayer meeting and lightning came. We didn't ask for lightning. And so it was just not our fault. And the theater's going, but you had a prayer meeting and you prayed that God would shut us down. We found that out. You said, God, yeah, but it wasn't lightning we asked for. So we don't. And then the judge, these were the comments in the newspaper. The judge said this. He stopped the proceedings and said, this is interesting. I've got pornography people that believe in prayer and church people that don't believe in prayer. How many are with me and say, sue me, sue me, go ahead and sue me. If our prayer meeting shuts something down, sue me. I'll pay your deductible, but I'll just tell you, prayer does work. Amen. Jesus deals a little bit with this topic when he comes to the end of his ministry. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's John 14, 15, and 16. It is Jesus giving his final words to his disciples before we're about to enter into John 17, which to me is the holiest of all chapters of the entire Bible. It is, it is almost, you get a peek, you kind of open up the door, and there's Jesus in there praying, and you get to hear Jesus' devotional life. And then in John 18, the bogus trial starts, the, the, the um, Judas betrays him and sells him out, and then the crucifixion proceedings begin to happen. But just before that, Jesus meets with his disciples in what theologians call the upper room discourse, and it's there he begins to deal with three giant topics. Topic number one, John 14, the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. The paraclete, the comforter is going to come, John 14. John 15, he says, what this is going to do is create such an incredible bond between us. And in fact, he gives the image and says, the bond is going to be so strong, it's going to be like a vine and a branch, that the life that's going to flow through the vine will flow through you. And then in John 16, he kind of brings up the Holy Spirit again because it's such an important topic and, and, and then ends with this incredible word on prayer. And I just want to read to you one passage and talk to you about something that I've had questions on for 33 plus years of ministry. And I want to just read to you his finale of the upper room discourse. Just one verse. Listen to these words. Jesus says in John 16, 24, he says, until now you've asked for nothing in my name. And then he says these words, ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Listen to it again. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Say that with me out loud. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. My goodness, it takes us three seconds to say, the, to say that asking is the easy part. Receiving, that's the fun part. But how many know between ask and receive doesn't take three seconds? How many know it could take three weeks, three months, three years, three decades? How many have been there? How many have asked the Lord for something? Raise your hand. Hold it up. Put your hands down. How many have asked and have not received from the Lord? Would you raise your hand? Same hands. Listen, because this is the hard part. This is the part that I wish it was like the North Carolina church, that in 30 days we asked, God shut this thing down and it would happen that quick. But many of us know that have been part of Christianity pretty long, know that it doesn't happen as quick as you can read it. Ask and you will receive. That's easy. But it's that in between that is really what the difficult part is. That's the part where we get frustrated. That's the part where we get accusatory. That's the part where we don't understand. I, I wish it happened that quick. I wish that as pastor was praying for you and, and praying for needs today and, and people were praying for you, that if you were here and you just said, you know, we've been having financial needs, pray for us, pray for us. I wish when the prayer meeting's over you or the service is over you, walk out and someone's waiting there with a bag of money and go, you've been looking for this. I would come to this church. I mean, if it would happen that quick. 
I mean, if you're sitting in here and you're single, God, I need a man, and you walk out and he's going, hey, I've been waiting for you after the service. This would be the hottest church in the state for everybody to come to. Say, don't go to that coffee service or the morning songbirds. Go to the noon service. You'll get a man. And so you just never know. But it doesn't happen that way. That's the frustrating part is because the words that Jesus gives us doesn't seem to happen that quick. My children are going now, we live in New York City for these last four years and are part of one of the most liberal cities in all of North America in the schooling. And my children are 14 and under. When we went there, they were 11, uh, 10 and under. And so we have been having to protect them from so much. Right now, they, uh, our, our second option was to put them in Catholic school because we thought it would be a little bit easier. And it hasn't been easier. I figured, for me, I can fight... I can fight theology or, 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 or deal with some, some misnomers of theology better than I can fight secularism. But now I'm fighting even secularism in the Catholic Church. They, they've already told my kids that Genesis 1 through 3 doesn't exist. It's a myth. That's what they just told them. So I've just started there dealing with that, dealing with, with, with creation, dealing with the fall of man. But all of our kids, whether now in the Catholic school or whether in a public school, have been faced with something that I just recently just came across on my vacations when we go on vacations. I kind of take a hodgepodge of books, and one of the books I will always take, or one of the authors I will always take, is my favorite historian from England, one of the UK historians who's known all over the world to be one of the, one of the outstanding historians. His name is Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson has written phenomenal biographies. He's best known for his work on Churchill, but, his, but Paul Johnson is a Christian man. He is a godly man. He's written biographies on Christianity, on Israel, even wrote just recently a biography on Jesus. But the one that kind of took me by surprise that I took on vacation, uh, our last vacation, or two vacations ago, was one that I didn't even know he wrote, was one on the biography of Charles Darwin. And I always just thought Charles Darwin went to the Galapagos Islands, saw some mutations in a bird, and just goes, ah, it's evolution, we'll call it naturalism, we'll call it Darwinism, and it would just be, it'll just be all done and we'll teach our kids there is no God. That's not the way that it happened. Paul Johnson writes basically that Charles Darwin's problem was not seeing mutations on birds' beaks. The problem was is that he hit in between ask and receive and became a frustrated man. Listen to what historian Paul Johnson says. Because Darwin was studying to go into the ministry. He was at Cambridge studying to become a pastor. He was a Christian man. Married a very, very godly wife. In fact, I was reading the letters that they exchanged. And there'd be a dozen times Darwin would write the name God and, and, and praying to God in all of his letters. But the problem came when it got in between ask and receive when he got frustrated. Because they had about seven children together, and their youngest, who he adored, his precious little girl, got sick and was on her deathbed. And Paul Johnson writes that Darwin began to write letters praying to his wife that God would heal their little girl, that God would touch their little girl. And because of that prayer, and because that little girl, God took her home, not only did he become so frustrated, he threw God out of the mix. And at that point, he declared, there is no God. For this very thing to happen, for, a, for my daughter to die, I'm praying to nothing. And so when he was on that 88-day boat trip to the Galapagos, it wasn't mutations. 
It was a frustrated man because, because he was in between ask and receive. And can I just tell you something, Lakeside? That can happen to any of us. Any of us can be in between ask and receive and all of a sudden agnostic thoughts hit us, atheistic thoughts hit us, frustrating thoughts, caricaturing God into, into being something that he's not. And then you're faced with this moment. And all I want to do this morning is take two things I'm going to talk about you and me, and then I'm going to talk about God, and I want to just do my best to maybe, maybe clear up the muddy waters just a little bit, just a little bit. I, I want to take what I've gone through and what I have faced with this very issue, the frustrations that I've gone through in this very issue, just to kind of do my best to talk to you about what's happening in between ask and receive. As I prayed for you over these last two weeks, I've really felt more impressed to share this with you and it's just my journey with this and to show you how important it is to understand. So here's what I want you to do. Take out a piece of paper, write down two thoughts and let me walk you through what I think is happening in between ask and receive. And this may just begin to become a life preserver to someone that's here that may be facing one of those moments. Number one, mark this down. God will never give you something that you're not ready for. God will never give you something that you're not ready for. Because I think sometimes, Lakeside, our frustration gets misguided that it's God's delay when God is really looking at us and saying, it's your delay. Because write this down, he is trying to show us that waiting is maturing. Waiting is growing us. Waiting is building in us. God is so careful because he is a father, he will never put you in a position or give you a possession that you would lose through your immaturity. And that's the part that frustrates us because we think that if you say, if you ask, it should happen. But the problem is, is that the receive gets elongated because of the maturing process that goes on inside of us. It's God's schooling and curriculum that sometimes frustrates us. Let me ask you a question. If you were going to choose someone and say, okay, I want you to preach the second longest sermon in the Bible next to the Sermon on the Mount, how could we prepare this person to do that? What would we need to do? Well, let's send them to Bible college. Let's send them to seminary. Let's do hermeneutics. Let's do homiletics. Let's send them through some speech classes. Let's do some, because you're going to go follow after Jesus. But see, the thing that frustrates some of us here is because God's curriculum doesn't look like our curriculum. God's schooling is different than ours. So in order for Stephen to preach the second longest sermon in the Bible, his platform or his curriculum before the platform, watch this now, was going to be serving widows fried chicken in Acts chapter 6 because they were being overlooked and God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you serve widows, watch this, that can't repay you or promote you. So I'm going to have you work with people that will have no part in putting you to where you want to go. And what you will do is you will just serve these widows and then in the next chapter, I'll put a microphone in your hand. The danger is, is that, and I've done this before, the danger is, is that so many times in the church, we will promote gifting over character. Because someone can sing, because someone can speak, because someone can lead, but God is so careful and such an amazing manager that what he protects us from, because if you put someone in a position based on gifting and not character, that thing will be lost eventually. I've done that. My goodness, in starting a church, we, I mean, as a church planter, you need musicians. Our first band, I, I, I didn't 
choose this way. I, if you played an instrument, my first, my first worship, and they were all demon-possessed. Everybody was filled with demons, but they could play. They were incredible. The, the, the guitarist, the organist, the pianist, the drummer, demons. Every one of them, demons. And my rule was this, play and manifest later. That was our motto. Our motto was play, manifest later, and we'll deal with you. But the issue is, is because I didn't know God's curriculum, that God never promotes gifting over character. How would you, how would you get someone to become second in charge of the planet? How would you put someone in that position? How would you get somebody to be in charge of Egypt what would you do? Well, you got to go leadership courses. You're going to have to get your doctorate. You're going to have to read a John Maxwell book. How in the world would you get them there? Here's what God's curriculum was for Joseph. You ready for this? Write these three things down. Here was the school. One, you're going to be betrayed by the closest people in your life. Two, you're going to be accused of something you didn't do and will lose your job. And you can't even defend yourself. One, you'll be betrayed by the closest people in your life. Two, you're going to be accused of something you didn't do and you're going to lose your job and you won't even have a chance to defend yourself. And number three, you ready for this? You're going to be promised something and forgotten. And you're going to have to make sure that you're dealing with the you promise part when someone doesn't come through and says, I promised you this, I promised you support, I promised you a position, I promised you a job. And God goes, instead of me putting you in homiletics, or instead of me putting you in leadership, or instead of me letting you read leadership books, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to teach you how to navigate through betrayal of close friends, I'm going to teach you how to deal with accusation when you didn't do anything, and I'm going to teach you how to deal with when you are forgotten by man, but not forgotten by God. And the day, think about this, and the day it looks like he's furthest from the dream, he is wearing a prison orange jumpsuit with convict 37298 on it. And in a day, he's got robes on him. When he looked furthest from the fulfillment, he was closer than he's ever been in his whole entire life. Because that was God's curriculum. See, the problem is, is that that's what frustrates us. We don't like the curriculum. One of my spiritual fathers, Leonard Ravenhill, I remember him telling me this one time. He says, Tim, here's the danger today about the ministry. He says, Jesus, watch this now, Jesus prepared for 30 and preached three. Today we prepare for three and preach 30. He says, the curriculum of God is what frustrates us. Because God is doing something. When you ask, when you ask God for something, then it's God's responsibility to begin to grow you to handle what he wants to give to you. Let me explain it to you this way. I'm going to date myself a little bit in two, in two things. And I know, with, especially with children and, and just hitting 50, I, I, I've got to speak in errors and realize what, what's happening. My little daughter went into my desk and she goes, she goes, what is this? And I said, that's a cassette. She had no idea what a cassette tape was. How many know what a cassette tape is? How many know what a 45 is? Not the gun or beer. How many know what a 45 is? How many 33s? How many had a 33? 78? How many were fly like me and had 8-tracks? Anybody have 8-tracks in this? That's what I'm talking about. I grew up in a great Christian family, especially in its, in its unheard of, especially today to see a father that was married to my mom for 55 years. I was literally almost born in the choir loft during the Christmas cantata at our church across the street from Madison Square Garden at a church called Glad Tidings Tabernacle. 
People like Smith Wigglesworth used to come to our church and do healing crusades. My dad, as a New York City police chief, used to be the bodyguard for Catherine Kuhlman crusades. And we were there at the beginnings of Teen Challenge. The issue is if I didn't go into the ministry, I should go to hell. And so what's happened is to be around all those incredible people and not, and not experience the incredible uh, blessing of God. I, I've seen it. I've known what God can do. And so my dad, a great Christian man, went to be with the Lord um, a few years ago. But my dad was amazing. He just told me this. He says, Tim, when you're ready to drive, I'm going to buy you your first car. And here's where the problem came. What I thought I should be driving and he thought I should be driving couldn't have been further apart. I think many of you will remember this because here is what he thought I should be, and bought me for my very first car. I'll never forget. It has to be the, and, and some of the teens won't remember, will not remember this, but it has to be the longest and the biggest car ever made in human history. It was called an LTD. Anybody remember an L? Seriously, for the students, no exaggeration. It was probably from that door to that wall no exaggeration it was huge huge this thing was it was crazy I mean you'd if, if I mean if I was driving to Lakeside for one of your three services I would be it because I'd take up every spot in the parking lot with this thing and this was the time where they had no bucket seats everything was the bench anybody remember the bench seats up there and in order to move it up everybody had to move together and if they didn't it would just kind of get caught on an angle and you're going hey bro you got to move with me because because you're messing me up I didn't get married till I was 33 and you know why now no no one's dating me with a LTD I'm not going like look Ford limited and it was an LTD brome I don't even know what brome means but it was an LTD brome <laughs> you had the same car now you know what our problems have been for all these years that's why we're always in counseling <laughs> second dating of myself this is what I thought I should have been driving there was a movie with Burt Reynolds and Sally Fields. And the name of that movie was... See, this is not a holy group. The other group was more holy because they didn't know what the name was. I'm just a little concerned. Smokey and the Bandit. He had this black Trans Am T-top, the giant bird on it, and the cell phone of that day was the CB. You just didn't give anyone the cell phone number. You just told them what your handle was. And that is what I knew Jesus wanted for me to have so I would be anointed for him to do the work. I couldn't do Jesus' work in an LTD. I could do Jesus' work in the Burt Reynolds Trans Am. But let me tell you what my dad was saying. My dad was saying this. I can't give you a Trans Am unless I know you're going to be faithful with an LTD. What he was saying was, let me try this spot because you didn't say anything. Let me try this side over here and see if they got it a little more. What he was saying was, if you can't be faithful with an LTD, I'm not going to trust you with a Trans Am. Oh, the, altar call coming your way soon. Listen. <laughs> he was saying to me, if you cannot pay LTD insurance 
and LTD parking tickets and LTD oil changes and LTD and even upkeep on the car, why would I even trust you with something of that magnitude? Because your training ground and growing ground is when I give you an LTD. Jesus said it this way. Be faithful in little things, parentheses, LTD. Be ruler over much, trans am. And the problem is, is some of you are frustrated that your trans am prayer didn't get answered, but you haven't taken care of your LTD possession right now. And you're wanting Trans Am, Trans Am revenues at a company that you haven't even tithed on LTD revenue. I need, a, I need a Trans Am raise. Well, then tithe on LTD because God begins to promote from faithfulness, not just simply what you prayed. Some of you are going, this is a mean man. Why would in the world would you invite? He spits. He's angry. Send him back to New York, Pastor Phil. Listen. What God does is says, I need you to be faithful with what I've given you before I put anything else in your hands. I need you to make sure he's a father and even better than my own dad who can look and say, if you're not faithful with this, I can't put this in your hands. Because as a dad, I've got to make sure that you know how to take care of this. I've watched this happen with precious single people that are sitting in this church and every church that they under, can't understand why God hasn't given them a spouse. And the issue is God hasn't, is trying to trust you with your singleness first. He's trying to make sure why, if you're a frustrated single, why in the world would he put you in a relationship to torment somebody else if you cannot handle singleness? Amen, Pastor Tim. Keep on preaching. Seriously. The answer is not... Because I hear this all the time. Oh, there's no good-looking single men Christian with a job in the church today. I've tried, and that's why I'm on eHarmony and Christian Mingle, and I've sent in my 60-profile things, and God's going to help me because I saw the commercial. And here's what happens. God help us if we get something before it's time. God help us. Because then what you do is what God's trying to do is to get your satisfaction as a single in him before you put God type of restrictions on that person that God puts in your life. If you don't get satisfied with God, there's not a man or a woman that can satisfy your life. Listen, listen to me. Because this is so huge. Let me, let me just help you for a second. Because God hasn't forgotten you single people. Listen, if you're here today and you're single, don't raise your hand. Keep them down. Because they usually raise the left one going, yep, thank you, Jesus. Okay, reference point. Worst single adult in human history. Human history, worst single adult situation. Adam. There's no human on the planet. There is no one to date. You can't even, you, if you went on Christian Mingle, he's it. It's like, man, I know someone's going to hit me today. I know someone's going to. Nobody. What do you do if there's not a human? There's not even a human 
Oh, those orangutans are looking all right today. What's going on, Mr. Orangutan? What do you do? There is nothing but animals. And here's what's amazing. God saw his singleness and his loneliness. And you ready for this? God created a person to give to him. If God can do that for Adam, I think in my puny mind, he can find you someone in the state of Michigan that loves Jesus, good looking, has a job, but he's got to grow you in order to bless you. Because he's not going to give you a trans am man if you don't take care of your LTD singleness. Write this down. Because it's not God's inability, it's my immaturity that brings the delay it's not God's inability it becomes my immaturity are you still with me all right number two and I'm tired let's get this down first one is you God won't give us something unless we're ready for it it's the growth issue it's a maturity issue the second thing and then I'll elaborate on it Write this down. You pray one thing, God does 10,000 things. I'll explain that in a second. You pray one thing, God does 10,000 things. We have no idea, I included, what God does to get your prayer answered. He gave you the easy part, ask. That's why I don't have much for people to go, oh, prayer is just too much work. You know how much work it is to be God? We kind of saw a little bit of it when Morgan Freeman decided not to be God for a couple weeks and gave it over to Jim Carrey and Bruce Almighty. A little bit. We kind of saw a little bit when all of a sudden he's hearing millions of prayers in his mind and Jim Carrey is just didn't know what to do because he's God for the first time and then just hits yes for every prayer. The next day in the newspaper, it says, three million people won the lottery and all got a dollar sixty-three. And so it was, you start to learn what it goes to. Then it shows one day he's praying, somebody's praying and going, God, I'm proposing to my girlfriend, I need a full moon. And there's Jim Carrey just kind of making a full moon and prayer is answered. Next day in the paper, tsunami hits the Philippines because of abnormal lunar shapes that begin to happen. We just don't understand what it takes to be God. That while, listen to me, while you're complaining, he's coordinating. And while you're frustrated, he's synchronizing. Because you prayed one thing, he's doing 10,000 things on your behalf. You just prayed one thing. That's all you did. Let, let me, let me. Let me explain it to you this way. I just met when he sat down, Pastor Ryan. Pastor Ryan, you're the youth pastor, okay? Four years you've been here, I think your father-in-law said? Four years, okay. I'm assuming you're the daughter of the Chris. I've got discernment. <laughs> pastor Ryan is walking into the church this morning and he's just had a tough week. And just while he's walking in from his car, just whispers a prayer, just a prayer. God, I need a word today. And just walk, that's it. I need a word today. Think, think of that ask. Some of you are going like, that's no big deal. 
So what happens is that Pastor Delina is at the hotel and he prays and, and maybe from all of his study, he's, he's going to preach a message that will begin to coincide with what Pastor Ryan is going through. Okay, think larger with me for just a second. Look at me, Lakeside. Do you know what it took over the last three decades to get me here on this day? Because God sees from eternity past to the future. He, he doesn't see in time. He doesn't see, oh, I got two days to work with Delina to get him there. He has got to coordinate it for me to preach this message on this day, in this moment, and for you to be here, and especially for him to be here. So it goes like this. It goes back to the 1950s when God begins to speak to David Wilkerson to begin to read Life magazine, to go to the gangs of New York City and to see people like Nikki Cruz get saved and to start a little organization called Teen Challenge, which begins to affect the entire world that is beginning to touch literally hundreds of thousands of drug addicts and those that are addicted all over the world and starting it right here in Detroit. Then, Dave Wilkerson is doing a conference in Fort Worth, Texas. At that time, I was going to Baylor University in Waco, Texas. I was in between semesters. And while I went to hear Brother Dave speak, he looked at me and he goes, why don't you, for your summer, come to Detroit and help my son, Gary, start a church in Detroit, Michigan? I said, okay, that's better than painting houses in Texas in the summer because that's almost like hell. And so what I don't want to be, because it's like 100 degrees. I've seen demons in the houses, maybe Lucifer at one time. And so that would be so much better. Let's go to the inner city of Detroit. And so let's just go work on, I'll work in the Brewster projects, much better than painting new houses in Dallas-Fort Worth area. So I come up, and who would have known, who would have known that at that time that Tom Trask and his youth pastor, Phil, Phil Chris, could begin to connect with Gary Wilkerson and create a relationship with them. Not with me, but with them. And then over some time, what happens is, as that relationship starts to begin to take place, and between, between World Challenge, Church in the City, and Brightmoor Tabernacle, God begins to put it on Phil Chris that he's supposed to go over to Shelby Township. God puts it on Gary Wilkerson. He's supposed to go to New York and help his dad start Times Square Church. And God puts it on my heart that I'm supposed to stay here in Detroit for, for 20 more years and help out. And who would have thought that in the midst of this, while Pastor Phil is in Shelby, I stay in Detroit all of a sudden he feels a burden to send me a check every month and I've never even preached for him then decides hey listen why don't you come over and start speaking why don't you come over when I'm out of town and start speaking for me and then God began to create a relationship now, now we're still not done then God sends me to New York City and the rule that me and Pastor Simbola have is that when he's when he when I go out traveling he has to be there when he goes out traveling I have to be there and Pastor Phil decided that on this day, listen, we were supposed to be all the way back in September, but we had to cancel that because of a concert and I ruptured my Achilles and I couldn't come to it. So what happens is it has to come on this day when Ryan is walking from the parking lot going, I need a word from the Lord. God has to coordinate Pennsylvania, Baylor University, Brightmoor Tabernacle, David Wilkerson, Shelby Township, New York City, Jim Symbolist schedule. He has to change the September date put me here all because you have the audacity to ask I need a word from God are you kidding me
And while you're frustrated, God's coordinating 10,000 things on your behalf. Can I, get, can I take it one more level crazy? Okay. I am, I am 51 years old. My mom had me when she was 44 years old in 1963. Okay? To get pregnant at 43, 44 in 1963 is very dangerous. My brother is 10 years older than me. My sister is 15 years older than me. I was an accident. I was a Florida trip. It's true. That's what my mom told me. She just told me this story about 10 years ago because she was afraid of how I would respond. Listen to this. She gets pregnant at 43, 44 years old. There was no stick in Rite Aid to see. You had to go to the doctor and they had to tell you if you were pregnant. So she goes to the Jewish doctor across the street. This is when there wasn't like going to any care center. This is when the doctors had their practices in their home. And she went there and the doctor goes, Sonia, you're pregnant, whether you like it or not. I know it's dangerous at 43, 44, you're pregnant. My mom said she was so depressed, she was done with diapers. She was done. She had a 10 and a 15 year old. She had a boy and a girl. Life is good. About four months into the pregnancy, she woke up one morning and there was blood all over her bed. A puddle of blood. She was hemorrhaging. She called the doctor up and the doctor, the Jewish doctor said, Sonia, he said, I just have to let you know this is very dangerous. And at this time in your life, you're 44. This is hemorrhaging. You've probably lost the baby. Here's our only shot. You got to stay absolutely still until I get there. I'm in Manhattan. It'll take me two hours to get there. This is the part my mom was afraid to tell me. She says, Tim, I got out of bed and I went downstairs to the garage and I took a jump rope. And for the next 20 minutes, I jumped rope until I lost the baby. She said, I was jumping knowing I've hemorrhaged, and I felt a thud, and I knew I lost the baby. Went back into the bed, cleaned the bed up, cleaned the sheets, got in the bed. Two hours later, the Jewish doctor came, examined, heard the heartbeat, and said, Sonia, thank you for staying absolutely still. The baby is absolutely fine. And him, Pastor Ryan, has to come up with, I need a word from God today. God goes, do you know what I have to do? I've got some crazy Russian woman jumping rope in Long Island, New York. So I've got to hold the baby in place while the jump rope is going. I've got to coordinate Pennsylvania, Detroit, Texas, New York City, just to get you your word. All I know is we serve a pretty awesome God. And here's what bothers me, is that we've got to encourage you to worship. When you know God is doing these kind of things, why should anyone have to tell you to raise your hands? 
This place should be out of control. You should be swinging from the balcony, jumping off, saying, no jumping, no, 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 this is a legal issue. You can't jump off the balcony during the worship, sir. You should be running through this place because God has done awesome things to coordinate your life and put 10,000 things together. Let me close with this. A keyboardist, come. I've got um, about 9,000 books in my library. And there's about probably one hand other than the Bible that have affected me emotionally. That if I showed you the pages, not to sound boasting, if I showed you the pages, it caught me. It caught my emotion. That I could show you the tear marks. I could show you where I lost it. I can, one of those, one of the recent books, it doesn't happen often. One of them was the biography. If, I, I, I think the follow-up is better than the movie, but if you've not read Unbroken, oh my goodness. The movie came out, Angelina Jolie's, read the book, because she only kind of takes it up to chapter 31. Billy Graham Association takes it beyond that and show the documentary at the, what goes on beyond the movie of what happens in Louis Zapparini's life. Oh my goodness. Don't think that because you saw a movie, you saw... That was one of the books that I lost it on. I lost it, especially when I got to the Los Angeles part of what happened in Louis's life. Unbelievable. I lost it. But the book that really hit me deep is the prayer I'm going to give to you today. It's about five centuries old. And it's written by an old, old mystic named Thomas Akempis. It's called Imitation of Christ. It's so old, it's free on Kindle. And all it is, is his prayers. It's his prayers. And there was one prayer. I was sitting in my house in Highland Park, Michigan, and I just lost it. I lost it. Think of this for a second. You pray one thing, and God does 10,000 things on your behalf. And you tell me, oh, prayer's just too much work. Are you serious? Try being God. Try coordinating 10,000 things. I ask God that my daughter would get saved at the U of M campus. Do you know what he has to coordinate to make that happen? Who he's sending from around the world and around the country to be in that dorm, to be in that common area, to be in that cafeteria or that classroom at the right time. Do you understand what he has to coordinate and what he's putting together? So while we are, while we are frustrated, he's beginning to synchronize. And here's what Thomas Akempis prayed, one line prayer, and I lost it. And here's what he says, God, comma, God, you serve me more than I serve you. Think of that for a second. Selah, pause, think about it. Think about it, Lakeside. You serve me more than I serve you. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I thought the higher you get and the more lofty you are and the more you're a CEO, everybody's serving you, not God. The higher he gets, the more of a servant he becomes. Nobody's walking around with his briefcase. No one's walking around giving him a back massage. Everyone is looking at him going, how do you do this? You serve me more than I serve you? I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by 
my commitment. I'm embarrassed by my worship. I'm embarrassed by my, my frustration with God. God, I'm so dumb. Because when I'm in between Lakeside, when I'm in between ask and receive, ask, that's easy. Receive, that's fun. In between, that's what's frustrating. And I forgot because my prayer has changed. It's not this. A lot of it in the Psalms. How long? Read Psalm 13. He asked four times. How long? How long? How long? You know what's amazing? God never answers him, but a turnaround happens in those six verses. And you can still, look at me, you can still worship and praise him without even getting answers to your questions. And my prayer has changed now with God. This is how it goes. One, grow me. Two, do your 10,000 things. This is my prayer lakeside. God, just grow me and do your 10,000 things. Forgive me of my frustration. I forgot what you're doing on my behalf and I don't even know it. Who you're saving, who you're intersecting into my life. I want to be as clear as I can be as we close and we're done. I've, I've Pastor Phil said, take your time. And I've known I've gone about 10 minutes over, 15 minutes over, and I'm, I'm really done, but I want to end with this. I want to be very, very clear. Listen, I'm not going to do the general thing. How many are waiting for an answer to prayer? That's easy. All of us. Then, then we just, I, I want to be very clear because I really feel a mandate from the Lord. I'm not going to have you bow your heads. I'm not going to have you raise your hands. I'm just going to simply, it's going to take you beginning to say, this is serious, Tim. This is serious. I've got to, I want to make sure I reset my heart on this. You're in between ask and receive. And you've gotten very frustrated with God and very frustrated with the delay. And you forgot, grow me and do your 10,000 things. And it's almost a prayer of repentance to go, God, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. All I've been doing is accusing you. I've been frustrated with you. But today I realize you are amazing. You serve me more than I serve you. How many know that to be true? If you're here and that in between ask and receive thing has just kind of messed things up for you. And this is that moment that you're just going to go, God, I'm resetting today. Start with repenting and going, God, forgive me. I forgot what you're doing. We're going to make this just a, uh, an altar time. And I'm going to quickly ask. I'm not going to delay this thing. But if you're here today and you go, you know what? That was the Pastor Ryan prayer. I, that's what I needed. I needed that. And I've got to just begin to reset. God, my new prayer is grow me. Do your 10,000 things. And if that's you and that needs to be your new prayer, I don't want you to hesitate. Balcony, main floor. Stand to your feet if that's you. Quickly. Stand to your feet and get down to this altar as fast as you can. Quickly. Quickly. Get down here as fast as you can if that's you. I'm not going to give a second opportunity. I'm not going to go, there's other. This is it. You got one shot and then we're going to go from here. Quickly. As fast as you can. Balcony will wait for you. We'll wait for you. This is a God moment. This is a God moment. And we're going to begin 
to just look at him and just go, God, you got to grow me on this. You got to grow me on this. He wants to save your son and daughter, but my goodness, he doesn't want to bring them back to a home that doesn't even know how to manage with them their salvation. Maybe he needs to grow you and your spouse. Maybe he needs to grow that relationship. But I've been there. I've been there. Students, I've been there. Single people, I've been there. But this is a moment that we're just going to believe for God just to come grow me. Would you just for a second, just lift your hands to the Lord. Would you pray this with me? Just say, God, grow me and do your 10,000 things. Come on, say it again. Grow me and do your 10,000 things. Come on, say this with me. Say, Jesus, you serve me more than I serve you. Say it again. God, you serve me more than I serve you. Hallelujah. Would you just thank him for a second? Come on, just thank him. Just thank him. Thank him that he is coordinating right now. Father, I ask for not only myself, but for everyone here, would you forgive us? Forgive us of frustration. Forgive us of accusing you, God. Forgive us of accusing you, of saying you forgot, of saying we're not important and you do it for everybody else. And God, we, we, we repent of that. And we say, God, grow us. Grow us. Help us to be faithful with the LTD. Help us to be faithful, God, with tithing. Help us to be faithful, God. We're asking for more, and we've not even, God, been faithful with what we have. And so, Lord, I'm asking you, make us faithful. Make us, God, honorable with what you've given to us. And God, we say, Lord, we will wait while you do your 10,000 things. 10,000 things you're coordinating for sons and daughters, grandparents. And, and you're coordinating, Lord God, for grandchildren. You're coordinating for single people. You're coordinating for students and for marriages. You're coordinating things for jobs. And God, right now, we're just asking, let your Holy Spirit, spirit just do that work let me just say this before pastor phil comes listen look at me for a second i'm going to let him close but i, I want to say this to you those in the audience balcony i want you to i want you to hear this for a second it takes three minutes there is only one prayer that i know that i can promise you that in the three seconds gets answered one prayer and it's this jesus come into my heart and change my life. And here's the promise. God says, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast out. There's one prayer you never have to wait and wonder. You'll never have to say, when you invite God to come into your life, you'll never have to say, if someone says, are you a Christian? I think so. you'll never have to say that. Because it's the only prayer that I can promise you that it happens as quick as you can say, ask and receive. Because it's a relationship. We're not asking to be part of a denomination. We're not asking to be part of a religion. We're not even asking you to join this church. We're asking you to walk in a relationship with the resurrected Jesus. Look at me for a second. It's the God who changes you from the inside out. The inside out. And I just want to ask you. We're not going to embarrass you, but we're going to, we're, we're going to pray. We'll, just, we'll close in prayer together. Pastor Phil will close us in prayer. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim... I need a relationship with God. I've been away from him. Or I've never, I've never said I've joined a church. I've done this. I've been Methodist, Catholic, whatever. whatever. I need God to come into my, that prayer, I promise, promise happens like that. That I promise. 
Why? Because God says it and God can't lie. If you're here and just say, Pastor Tim, pray for me. I need that a relationship. Would you raise your hand? Anybody here? Quickly. Anybody here? I want to make sure I see your hand. Quickly. Anybody? Anybody? Balcony. I just want to make sure I don't miss anybody in this place who's not a Christian. You say, I'm not a Christian. I'm not asking. I'm being very clear. I am not a Christian. I need God in my life, a relationship with God. Not a church, but God. Anybody? Just want to make sure before we close this, close this out. Awesome. I am so blessed to have this opportunity with you. And hopefully the waters are a little clearer on what's happening. God, grow me and do 10,000 things. Pastor Phil. Thank you, Tim. I think God, I know God, protected a woman with a jump rope for me this morning. I needed that word. There's things in your pastor's life he gets frustrated with that God's not moving fast enough. And I needed that word that was ordered for me today and for you. Amen. Lord, we receive as we believe. Come, sweet Holy Spirit, and seal, seal in our spirit this thus saith the Lord. Grow us, Lord, and do your 10,000 things. You've never been late, God. Your ear is not so heavy it cannot hear. Your arm is not shortened that it cannot reach. You're a good God. You serve us far more than we serve you. We trust you, Lord. Now, God, we have declared it by faith. We have spoken our need. We believe it. We receive it. And that settles it. In the name of Jesus. And everyone would say, Amen.